You got a leaky tire going. This is the habitat. <laughs> These are the things we learn. <laughs> yeah. And this is the sound of Tristan and Carmel doing armpit farts inside the habitat. Oh, look at that. You got an actual respectable tiny tooth. <laughs> It's a relief to hear Carmel laughing and joking around. The crew is deep into the slow, syrupy middle of their year-long mission, and everyone is feeling it. But Carmel, in particular, has been sounding really down. Everything is just exhausting me. Um, (laughs) It'll be okay. For the past couple of months, her recordings have been full of these long sighs and weary little laughs. As mission commander, she has a ton of extra work to do. Trying to keep the crew happy and um, keep the communication open between mission support and us and and everything. So, um, yeah. And on top of that, she can never get enough exercise. Back home, Carmel would spend all day hiking in the Montana mountains or running until her muscles burned. But here, in this tiny dome, she can't do any of that. And so, at the end of the day, I'm mentally exhausted, but I'm physically not exhausted, so I still lay in bed and, like, eyes wide open, even though my brain doesn't work anymore. Like, my legs are not tired, and so um, I don't know how to deal with this. (laughs) Yeah. To be honest, I've been kind of worried about her. But then... On mission day 161... Hi, Lynn. This is Carmel. And Tristan. <laughs> Whose recording is this? Yours. Okay. Tristan starts showing up in her audio diaries. It's a shared one now because I don't have a whole lot of energy. Tristan's going to make weird noises to help entertain me. That was you. Don't lie. And once he appears, things start to change. <laughs> Carmel sounds so much happier. You're distracting. The one question people always ask me about the habitat is, is anyone hooking up in there? Are there any couples? And for a long time, I said, no. But now, I'm not so sure. Tristan and Carmel seem to be spending a lot of time together. (laughs) They cook together. Why doesn't it lift up? It just wants to hurt me. This is the day Carmel tried to teach Tristan to use a pressure cooker. It's impossible. It won't come off. It's so hot. It's, it's like trying to take the pipe from a dragon. They eat together. So we made a bunch of tiny quiche cupcakes, and I have been downing those things like you wouldn't believe. I had like six for breakfast. Oh, so good. Oh, a little mushroom in this one. They are a perfect little quiche. I'm so impressed with them. Can I have a bite? <laughs> they tease each other. We watched the original Star Wars. <laughs> Did you really just pluralize something that was already pluralized? Star Wars. We Plural. watched the original Star Wars. <laughs> wow. No, but if you have... 
a Star Wars movie, a singular one, and then you have three of those, then you have Star Warses. Yeah, but if I have like a video about tugboats and then I have <laughs> two videos about tugboats, yeah, I don't have a tugboats' collection. <laughs> yes, you do. No, I don't. This is not how English works. They share every little thought that comes into their heads. Do you think Kobe Bryant has had Kobe beef? Probably. They talk about their families, the way you do when you're opening up to someone. Tristan tells Carmel about his grandfather, who was one of his favorite people on Earth. He liked to, and I don't know if he made these up himself, but he would sing horrible songs. Songs about like a girl from Decatur who wanted to sing in the theater, but she was so bad she was hit with a rotten tomato. Just awesome, awful songs. And Carmel tells Tristan about her family and about not quite fitting in. I'm the overachiever that they really didn't ever have any goals or aspirations for me at any point after I achieved the minimum of don't get pregnant in high school. Wow. And so after that, it just feels like everything's, you know, like I know that they're proud of me, but it's like, you know, anything I do is above their expectations. And so it's... Like, you win the no bell and they're like, all right, lady, just calm down. We need the firewood chopped. Okay, stop being such a fancy pantsy. <laughs> um, whenever Carmel gets into a dark place, Tristan is there, trying to cheer her up with a silly joke. And with each recording, I watch them get a little bit closer. What used to be 10-minute recordings become hour-long recordings. They can't seem to stop talking to each other and turn off the recorder. Bye, Lynn. Talk to you next week. Goodbye, Lynn. I'm Carmel's mother. That's not what my mother Why don't you call me more often? I haven't heard from you in six months. I can't call him on Mars. Excuse us! (laughs) (laughs) She sounds nothing like that. I don't know what she sounds like. I mean, yes, I do. She sounds like me. All right, so long, Lynn. (laughs) Don't do that. That is the sound of Tristan tackling Carmel. And when I hear stuff like that, I really start to wonder, what is going on with these people? What is going on in this dome? When the crew first went in, I asked Kim, the principal investigator, about the possibility of people hooking up in there. Are they allowed to have sex with each other? They set their own mission rules. And uh, so uh, that applies to romantic relationships. That applies to what time they get up in the morning. Um, Now... Uh, When I advise the crews, I suggest that they make mission rules to help them, um, you know, set boundaries on on both their professional and social interactions. Um, Are there condoms in the stock of stuff in there? Um, Not that we gave them. If I was designing an experiment like this, I would for sure put some condoms in there. I mean, you're talking about a bunch of young, attractive people trapped together for a year. But historically, NASA's position on sex has been, we don't see it, we don't hear it, we don't want to think about it. They've never studied and have no plans to study sexual relationships or romance in space. As for the 500-plus people who've been to space so far, NASA says not one of them has gotten lucky up there. Even though two of those people were a married couple on a mission together. Jan Davis and Mark Lee met during their astronaut training, fell in love, and got hitched. But because NASA frowned on the idea of sending couples into space together, they kept their marriage a secret. By the time NASA found out, 
Davis and Lee were already set to blast off together on a space shuttle endeavor, which is how Jan and Mark became the first and only married couple to leave the planet together. There's a picture from that shuttle mission that I really love. Davis and Lee are grinning and holding hands, their heads close together, their faces glowing. And Davis is fully upside down. Her long hair is drifting away from her head in every direction. They were newlyweds. The temptation to test out the equipment, to do a little physics experiment of their own, to be the first couple to have sex without gravity holding them down, must have been enormous. Again, NASA maintains that, as far as they know, there was absolutely no funny business. And maybe that's true. The mission was only eight days long. But a mission to Mars is going to be more like three years. So it's probably going to come up. You don't want to say it's inevitable, but, I mean, if you're talking about a three-year mission, um, this is a topic that NASA's going to have to consider. This is Pete Roma. He's an experimental psychologist and one of the primary researchers on high seas. Pete doesn't specifically study sex or romance, but he does study social dynamics. And love is one of the most complicated social dynamics you can have. Keep in mind, you got six people. It's a six-person crew. And so you have the possibility of lots of of dyads. When he says dyads, that just means pairs of people. So it could be something as simple as just kind of two people click and they hit it off and they become a cute little couple and that's fine and doesn't get in the way. Or as complicated as everyone just passing each other around uh, over the course of the whole mission and getting unbelievably complicated and and just activating parts of the brain that NASA had not anticipated <laughs> uh, training them for. The parts of the brain that feel lust and jealousy and pain. So the the stuff that makes you want to beat somebody up or run away. The squishy stuff. The stuff that makes humans fundamentally different from robots. Humans haven't changed that much in the last quarter million years. That The society we built around us has changed, but our brains are still basically the same. Just imagine you hook up with one of your crewmates at the beginning of your mission to Mars. And then six months into the mission, with years left to go, you get into a fight and break up. It can get messy. (laughs) I honestly can't think of, like, any more potent form of torture than being trapped for a year (laughs) with somebody you just broke up with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you go your separate ways. You can't go your—there are no separate ways in a confined environment. There is no—there are no separate ways. You're walking past that person every day. You're having breakfast with them. You have to work with them. (laughs) You can't avoid each other. But on the other hand, being a space couple could be great. Someone who always has your back, who you can confide in when things get too intense, who you can have crazy upside-down space sex with. What's not to like? It's possible that having a romantic partner could be the one thing that keeps people sane on a mission to Mars. Which brings us back to High Seas and to Tristan and Carmel. At some point, I just came out and asked them, are the two of you a couple? We established it very early on that there was absolutely nothing ever going to happen between either of us. Here's Carmel. Because we were just like, nope, this is like the last thing that any of us need in the Dome is to have a romantic relationship. It's such a bad idea. We're like, we can be best, best buddies forever, but I will never, ever do anything with you. And he's like, I agree. Absolutely never. Tristan said something similar. 
They were emphatic that what I'd been hearing on their recordings definitely wasn't romance. And I actually believe them, because the more I listened, the more their whole shtick stopped sounding like flirting and started sounding like something else, a very different kind of bonding. I'll say something dumb and Carmel will hit me, so I'll sit on her. Or yeah. You decide you want to fart on me, and yeah. then, then I'm pinned on the ground and I can't move, so you fart. Yeah, pretty much. You're basically subbing in for my sister, since I can't sit on her and fart. And you're subbing out for my brother. Yeah. So. so. Tristan and Carmel have made their own little family in a place where no other family is available. You can hear it in the way they talk to each other, and also in the way they don't. This is a recording of Tristan and Carmel eating breakfast together. Every once in a while, one of them sneezes or burps or something, but mostly it's just this, a sort of companionable chewing. You know that feeling, the feeling of being so comfortable with someone that you don't have to say anything. Might seem like a small thing, that kind of comfort, But picture yourself on Mars, on this cold, inhospitable planet, millions of miles from home, where everything around you is completely alien. Think about what it would feel like in that situation to be able to sit down at a table with someone who just gets you and share a bowl of Captain Crunch. So, okay, Tristan and Carmel are not a couple. I had been thinking that romance was inevitable in a situation like this, at least like a summer camp-style crush. But at a certain point, it seems like it's just never going to happen. But then I get a recording that convinces me. There is absolutely a couple in the dome. That's after the break. Okay, fourth recording. Um, This one will be about my crewmates. This is Cyprian. In the last episode, he was dealing with news of a terrorist attack in his hometown, Paris. With his friends and family far away, in a whole other world, really, he had to lean on his crewmates for support. And one week, I asked him to describe those crewmates, the people he spends all his time with. He talked about Shay. Shena. So Shena, she has degrees in a, well, in a few different fields. Uh, neurosciences, medicine, journalism, and biotechnologies, for instance. And Anjay? Anjay. He was working for Lockheed Martin before the mission as an interplanetary flight controller. And while most of his descriptions were pretty short and straightforward, one stood out. Christiana. Cyprian actually met Christiana once before high seas. Because we spent two weeks together in the Utah desert. The desert in Utah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. (laughs) Um, for another mission. It was another space simulation, this quick little two-week thing. And apparently they kept in touch between that mission and this one. So here's Cyprian describing Christiana. 
So Christiana, she spends most of her days working in front of her computer, uh, wrapped in a warm blanket, like a cocoon, and uh, munching on cookies. And in spite of that, she's very, very skinny, which makes her very unpopular um, among dating women. But anyway, even though she looks vulnerable and she may look cult sensitive, like this in her cozy nest, and I know that she that she's I know that she's very tough. I know Cyprian's accent can be a little hard to understand. He just said, even though she looks vulnerable and she may look cold sensitive in her cozy nest, I know that she's very tough. Like she's been working on an isolated glacier in Sweden and in temperatures below 40 degrees in Alaska. She's, she's been a mountain guide um, and she likes to camp alone in the Finnish winter. She likes to camp alone in the Finnish winter. Okay, we're only like a third of the way through this description, but I have to stop for a minute because the moment I heard Cyprian say, she likes to camp alone in the Finnish winter, I became convinced that there was something going on between him and Christiana. I don't know what it was exactly, something about the admiration, the tenderness, the little catch in his voice. Something made me stop and rewind and listen again. But I'm pretty deep in this thing right now, and it's possible I have lost perspective. So I decide to get a second opinion. I bring my editors, Caitlin and Jorge, into a recording studio and play Cyprian's recording for them to see if they hear what I'm hearing. She's, she's been a mountain guide, um, and she likes to camp alone in the Finnish winter. What do you guys think? He likes her. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not making that up, <laughs> no, right? No, 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 no. When I hear that, like, the music that comes into my head is that song from The Little Mermaid. There you see her, sitting there across the way. She don't got a lot to say, but there's something about her. That's what I totally, like, just googly eyes. I hear, like, a doo-wop, like a... Yeah. Like, she likes to camp alone in the Finnish winter. I have seen her exhausted on a mountain peak in the middle of the night with water which was freezing in our drinking bottles. She was struggling to put one thing in front of the other, but uh, without a word of complaint. When she's working, you'd better not approach her without a good reason. Like she would she would look at you like you're some mole growing on her food. Just a little bit of but when she's done working, she will dance around, hug people, be all smiles, and get ecstatic in front of a tiny, tiny plant or a super cool rock. Super cool rock. She loves those tiny plants and super cool little rocks. And she's quite easy to recognize. Very slim, slim. proud, proud. blue-eyed, blue-eyed. and purple-haired. So, I'm pretty sure that Cyprian is into Christiana. But I'm still wondering, is she into him? Is there actually anything going on between them? And then I start noticing all kinds of other clues. Okay. Hi, Lynn. This is Christiana disturbing Cyprian. Damn it. <laughs> 
I notice how Cyprian and Christiana sometimes pop in and out of each other's recordings. Um, I cannot focus, like, Christiana is staring <laughs> me in the eyes. Um, there was no, like... <laughs> okay, now I'm alone again. And I notice that Christiana is spending her free time on the mission learning a new language. Il voit le soleil. Il voit le soleil. French. Which, of course, is Cyprian's language. So shut up, Ooh, I like this one. The cat has taken the the wool. Susha Aprimalen. And I start thinking about those duets. With Cyprian on ukulele and Christiana on harmonica. Picture them sitting together on the floor, barefoot, grinning at each other when they make mistakes, huddling close around the recorder. And then turning the recorder off. Of course, I don't know what happens when the recorder is off. I don't know if anything romantic is really going on. So I ask them. And unlike Carmel and Tristan, they don't say no. But they don't say yes either. They just kind of dodge the question. We want to keep our private life private. Which is exactly the kind of answer you'd expect from someone who's having a secret Mars romance. But they won't talk about it. And since they're on Mars and I'm on Earth, I can't even sit them down and ask about it face to face. All I can do for now is keep gathering evidence. And I do have one more piece of evidence. You have to listen closely. One night, a powerful storm strikes Hawaii, and the crew leaves the recorder on most of the night to catch the sound of the wind and the rain. I listened to hours of this, the rain surging and then easing up, the fabric around the habitat flapping in the wind. And then, in the middle of the night, I hear the sound of footsteps, and then a voice whispering. It's Cyprian. And after a few minutes, I hear him say, softly. Did you hear that? I know it's very quiet. I had to turn the volume all the way up to really hear it. Let's go back to bed. Whatever's going on with Cyprian and Christiana, one thing is pretty clear. People in the habitat are pairing off. Whether those pairs are romantic or platonic, they're real. This crew, which earlier in the mission seemed like one big happy family, has started to split. At first, when I noticed this, I didn't think much of it. It's just what happens in groups. You break off, you form little subgroups, some people get closer, some people get farther apart. But in a place like this, you can't really get farther apart. Whether you like each other or not, you're stuck together. And now the crew is approaching the six-month mark. Soon, they will have been stuck together in this habitat longer than most crews have been together in actual space. Um, what do you think will happen in the next six months? I don't have any money to bet. 
So. We'll probably come across our first murder. <laughs> I wonder who it will be. I don't wonder. I need, I need a... <laughs> Me neither. I'm trying to pretend mysteriousness. <laughs> That's next time on The Habitat. Okay, let's go. is a production of Gimlet Media. It's produced by Peter Bresnan, Megan Tan, and me. I'm Lynn Levy. Our editors are Alex Bloomberg, Jorge Just, Caitlin Kenny, and Blythe Terrell. Additional reporting in this episode by Eric Eddings. Eric has his own show called The Nod, which you should listen to because it is amazing. Music, sound design, and mixing by Haley Shaw. Music supervision by Matthew Boll. Duop vocals by Nico Osborne and Sean Zuni-Green. Our credits music in this episode is performed by Cyprian Verseau and written by David Bowie. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. Thanks to Eric Menel for all his help. And a very special thanks to the High Seas crew. Anjay, Christiana, Cyprian, Carmel, Shay, and Tristan. Yeah, that's the ship that uh, takes off because, yeah, I haven't figured out how to do it otherwise. Anyway. <laughs>